welcome. We are live here with Jen Scottney, who is an ultra runner extraordinaire and a coach. Um, she um, came a second lady in the Northern Traverse 2018 and third lady in the Spine Challenger 2018. So we're here tonight to talk to Jen mainly about the Northern Traverse, um, uh, her training, kit, food, uh, hallucinations, uh, things like that. Um, so thank you so much, Jen, for coming on. It's great to have you here. How are you doing? Hey. It's lovely to see you. Yeah, I'm great, thanks. Cool. Fantastic. Um, so we've got lots of questions tonight from patrons who are the people who um, are loyal supporters of the, um, of the channel. So um, we will be asking you some of those in a moment. But first of all, I just wanted to set the scene for people. Um, so can you tell us how you got into this whole long distance running malarkey? <laughs> I can try. <laughs> I, yeah, I was, I think I was, I was kind of fairly new to it, or I definitely was at the time of Northern Traverse. Um, I grew up in the Peak District. Um, my dad was a fell runner. Um, my mum mostly did kind of road half marathons and things. Um, and my dad did some road marathons. I always, maybe once a year, <laughs> and then never again. And claim he's never going to do one again and do it. Yeah. So kind of running and sporty um football particularly was like a big part of growing up but I think like a lot of people I kind of lost it when I went to uni and yeah. <laughs> I did keep up mountain biking I did play football for all my years at uni um but once I started working in London I just got really unfit um and yeah drank too much because <laughs> did, did you train to be a you were a human rights lawyer until quite recently weren't yeah, you so yeah. is that what you were training for in london no i did i did my postgraduate qualification in well in leeds and manchester and then yeah after i was called to the bar i went to london um and so for like a decade i was in a very unhealthy wilderness really. yeah jen's but got neither wilderness then, years <laughs> yeah. There's not much running involved, apart from actually most Christmases. Yeah. I went back to my parents in the Peak District and did this one run, oh. which <laughs> in my head I thought it was about six miles because this is before any watches or GPS or anything like that. I then did that run and it's like less than three miles. It's not even that long. Oh, <laughs> wow. So this is even more interesting then. How did you get into the really long stuff? Because I mean, the Spine Challenge is like 105 miles, the Northern Traverse is 190 miles. How on earth did you go from like barely three miles to, to these incredible multi-dayers with no sleep? I kind of just jumped in. I just thought, I suppose like 90% of you thinks I can't possibly do that. But there's that tiny little 10% that says, you might. <laughs> So I started getting fitter. Um, once sort of, I got to my 30s, I'd moved back to the Peak District. wasn't working in an office. I was working from home and self-employed. So I kind of had it on my doorstep. I still didn't get out much because I was just working so many hours. So. Yeah, like 80-hour weeks. Didn't we do an interview a few years ago where okay. you were training for the spine and you were just saying, yeah, 80-hour week and yeah. then just so running. Yeah, I was doing that many hours <laughs> oh, a week. Wow. <laughs> And quite often not taking the weekend off, so I'd just sit on my desk and just go all the way through. Oh, wow. Um, so, yeah, it wasn't healthy, and I knew it wasn't healthy, and I knew it wasn't really what I wanted because by then I was living in such a gorgeous place, and 
just looking at it out my window from my desk. So I got a dog. <laughs> Sherlock. Sherlock the Beagle, yeah, <laughs> who features quite a lot on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> Does have more Instagram followers than mine. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> and so I, um, yeah, that got me out. It forced me to take breaks. And it also coincided with a time when um, my dad died and then a few months later my brother died. Oh. And it kind of having those massive life events happen it really does force you to sort of change like look at your life things aren't quite the same or you don't really have the same outlook and for me it was it was a positive change in the end because it kind of made me face up to I don't want to be at my desk doing nothing yeah. like working life there's more to life than that yeah um so by that point I was having like I'd take maybe two weeks off a year and I go to either Scotland or the Lake District so I was doing the big mountain walks and then I started just tiny little runs like I was literally just running a hundred meters on a dog walk but oh. gradually I built that up didn't have any running here I was doing it in just my walking shoes and <laughs> um, yeah I just loved it absolutely loved it and it kind of just really helped mentally as well as physically of just getting fit but also just giving me time to get some space away from my desk away from work away from my phone email everything and that's really how I got into it I started doing a few of the local fell races and then suddenly kind of heard more about these ultra marathons so I actually went from probably I'd done like a I'd done a seven mile fell race and then I just did a 30 mile ultra. <laughs> wow. <laughs> but you had that sort of background of the long distance hiking behind you. So presumably you sort of, yeah, that was a bit of training. Yeah. Like you have that base as being quite fit and sporty as a child. So to be honest, it didn't take me long to really get that back. Um, and yeah, I'm quite happy going out for big days. I can read maps and navigate and I've done that since I was young. So it wasn't it didn't seem a massive step it was just that kind of the distance in your head because yes. like, not. and I think because of my parents I'd never seen them run more than a marathon I think I kind of got in my head that humans couldn't run more than a marathon yeah like, that was like the limit this 26.2 miles yeah <laughs> I think pretty much until the year 2000 most people thought that didn't they <laughs> it's really taken off this ultra thing hasn't it <laughs> Well, there's tons of people watching just now, Jen, so I just want to give you a little flavour of who is here tonight, um, uh, tuning in for you. Um, so, uh, first of all, we have a, we have a fan comment um, from Guy Greater X, um, who has written, um, uh, he, I put that you were coming on, and he said, amazing, she is so infectious with that personality and laugh, and she is also so badass on the trails. Um, <laughs> So that's a little bit of a fan comment for you there. Oh. I know Guy's watching just now as well. So um, hello to you, Guy. Thank you for that. Um, and then Philip Haddock is watching from a very wet tent in the lakes. <laughs> um, Nigel Barnett says hi. John Gardner says hi. Um, John Airy says he's just back from the Toby Carvery in time. He's got his priorities right. Um, <laughs> Sue Marsh must be in a different place because she says morning, everybody. 
Um, and Abby says, Hiya, Jen and Claire. Big fan of all the Scott Lees and all your various adventuring. Um, oh, that includes Sherlock then. <laughs> yeah, presumably she's heard about Sherlock the Beagle, who's got more Instagram followers than Jen's husband, Marcus. <laughs> which he's not happy about. Um, Graham Brand says, evening all. Um, Hannah Baisley, who has a question coming up later. Um, evening all, she's uh, she's around and then she's going out for pizza. Oh, that's lovely. Um, and oh. Guy says hi as well. So we've got tons of people watching, tons of people commenting. There might okay. be a few live questions. Um, but before we get into your training for the Northern Traverse, which is what we're here to talk about tonight, I just wanted to just quickly cover the, the first race, the first biggie that you did, which was the spine race in 2018 where you came third lady uh, amazing yeah. <laughs> congrats um because i wanted to just show everybody this horrendous picture um sorry if anyone's eating dinner just now but this is what jen's yeah, feet looked like at the end of the spine race the this is what jen's feet looked like so um uh yeah so with that in mind like why on earth did you think, oh yes, long distance, this is the thing for me, I'll go and do 190 miles next in the Northern Traverse? <laughs> well, I had already entered Northern Traverse, so okay. maybe that was a factor. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, actually, although the feet are awful as well, what what was worse in that picture was that I was missing a front tooth from that oh, race as well. Yes, because you bit into the cliff bar and you broke yeah. the tooth off. Yes. Yeah, it was a false tooth because from my mountain biking, as younger, I had false front teeth because I got over my handlebars. So, yeah, that was an expensive cliff bar. <laughs> yes, an expensive so, cliff bar. Yeah, I kind of, I so I'd already like up until I would say that kind of summer before the spine race. So up till kind of August, um, two thousand and seventeen, wasn't it? I kind of I had done quite a lot of ultras. But I'd never really trained. I hadn't really put my mind to it. It was still just that I'll run when I can, when I feel like it. And it was very erratic. So some weeks, yeah, I was doing 50 miles. But then next week, I'd just be working the whole way through and managed to get out for one run. So I was doing the ultras kind of just completely for fun, really enjoying it. But they kind of hurt as well. And then I... I think the last race I did before that might have been a 12 hour one. So I'd kind of gone up to 50, 60 miles. Um, and yeah, I'd actually had a place in the spine challenge the, the, for the year before, but I tore my meniscus um, running with Sherlock, really. It was throwing out my gait. So I kind of was ready to do it, <laughs> but I kind of didn't really know what it was like to go that far or go through a night, it just seemed a massive unknown. And it was really Montaigne that supported me. Um, we're like, oh great, can we have your training vlogs? And I was just like, okay, hmm, better do some training. So that's honestly <laughs> why I started training. Really? Oh, brilliant. <laughs> and obviously by then Marcus was a very established coach, so could help me. And But he didn't do any schedules. I'm not very good at following a schedule. I shouldn't say that, because all my clients are so good at that. <laughs> It, well, it's just do what I say, not what I do, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Um, but I kind of threw myself into training and I loved it. I did some really great recces, some runs. I kind of just for the first time, I put my running ahead of my work, mm. which was it was quite stressful <laughs> coming up to the 
race. I regretted that when I was trying to get through this backlog. But I um yeah, I had a really good few months training. Um but I had entered Northern Traverse at that point, but I'd entered it thinking, well, I could still get my money back. I could still cancel it all. Um, I didn't tell Marcus I'd entered. <laughs> um, and I kind of just thought, well, let's just see how the Spine Challenger goes. But um, yeah, I think with my training, despite obviously the feet, that was a bit of a, a rookie error. But apart from the feet, I had a brilliant time. Still oh. with the feet, I had a brilliant time. I loved it. I loved going through a night. I didn't, um, I didn't, I was just, just really happy. <laughs> like I was expecting these really low points that people talk about, but I just, I just had a great time. Um, a few hallucinations at, hallucinations at the end, just to kind of spice it up as you're about to finish. <laughs> and dodging snakes on the road and things like that. Um, and yeah, I was actually quite surprised to finish as high up as I did because it was just such an unknown. Yeah. So I had a really good race. Yeah, well it looks like you had a good time but your feet did not because they look like <laughs> they look like spongy parchment with like rivers in. Oh, and they we've got they some comments. <laughs> yeah. We've got some comments. Guy, those feet look three hundred years old. Um, John Gardner says, wet feet are the worst. Those are seriously wet. And then J Paul Hamilton, who's just been able to join us, he says, oh my God, are they feet? Um, and John Airy says, that is proof that skin is not waterproof. It really absorbs water rather well. Hmm. Well, yeah, I can say that they haven't been as bad in any other races. And the reason why they were so bad was because... Obviously, I live not far from the Pennine Way, um, the start of it, down in the Peak District. And so I was doing a lot of my training runs over Kinder, Bleaklow, all these really wet, boggy places. And it was a really harsh winter. This was the winter when we had the Beast from the East later on. Oh, yeah. So I was spending a lot of time with my feet in slushy bogs. <laughs> and as my little bit of comfort in all those training runs, I was wearing these neoprene socks which are kind of the the club my my fell running club it was like their little recommendation that people were saying um and they were absolutely great on training runs but my training runs were only up to kind of about 30 miles i think i hadn't worn them past that so it yeah so everything was great for 30 miles i can vouch for that in fact they were great up until about 50 miles but after that um, I think just the combination of my feet being in neoprene socks <laughs> and it actually wasn't that wet. On, oh. That was like a really good year for the weather on the Pennine Way. Like everything had dried out in a few weeks around Christmas. Um, so I didn't need them anyway. Yeah. And yeah, so that was a mistake. Don't bother wearing neoprene socks. <laughs> yeah, I must admit though, I did a lot of my training for Cape Wrath Ultra in waterproof socks with shoe, with um, these shoes on. Um, non-waterproof shoes and then when I got to the race I wore exactly the same pair of shoes exactly the same pair of socks and I was really surprised I got a blister and meet like almost yeah. immediately uh, maybe because my feet were swelling or something but yeah I, I just changed to not waterproof socks in the end because it was like easier to just have wet feet and then dry feet wet feet dry feet whereas the waterproof socks they kind of yeah. keep your feet sweaty and wet don't they yeah for long the long stuff yeah. yeah and the other thing so it was again it was like my first hundred miler um I'd thrown some things in a drop bag the night before. It hadn't included any spare socks. Oh. Any, uh, I just didn't even think about that because I never, 
I'd had a few blisters maybe on ultras. I'd lost a couple of toenails on ultras, but I'd never had blisters like that. Yeah. Um, and I'd never, yeah, gone that far. So I also, there is on the kit list for the challenger, you're supposed to take a spare pair of socks, but it doesn't say running socks. And I was just getting my kit as light as possible. <laughs> so I had this like really silky pair of socks. Oh no. <laughs> At least they were yeah, a pair of Barbie socks or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I, um, I learned then that light isn't always the best because I had nothing I, I had nothing yeah <laughs> I got like 60 miles and I was coming down from like top around top withens and I thought well it feels like a blister popping in between my toes that doesn't but then you kind of your mind like oh it'd be fine you're just imagining it but I clearly wasn't like within a few miles it was just like walking on hot coals oh, I, I know the feeling it's so horrible <laughs> I don't know how you then coped for another 40 miles I would that just would have been in me it no done <laughs> not acceptable <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it hurt. And I think, and I did get overtaken by somebody then, so that was a bit disappointing. Uh, but there was kind of nothing. I couldn't go any quicker yeah. on feet. And um, yeah, so I learned yes. that one. So you learned, and you did the the uh, the Northern Traverse, which presumably was only a few months after the spine. So. Um, yeah, I just wanted to talk a little bit about your training because we've got a couple of questions around strength and yoga from Hannah and Arlene. But could you just sort of sum up in a nutshell, like what you were doing each week to sort of get ready for such yeah. a long race? Because you can't run like 100 miles one weekend as training, can you? No, although for Northern Traverse, like I wouldn't normally do any long back-to-back -back runs deliberately. But for Northern Traverse, I did recce the route um, because it's quite far from where I live. I did do the route in three blocks. So that was kind of different to the spine challenger training, say, where I'd just do one long run and then a week. Um, so I was doing, like me and my friend went up, I can't remember, maybe around March time, and we did the whole lake section, staying in youth hostels, and then I did the middle bit on my own. So um, there were some weeks where I was doing that, but generally, um, if I wasn't wrecking, so it would just be my kind of just getting the volume in. Um, so I'd quite often run twice a day. That fitted in with my work. Um, I definitely do that a few times a week. I also was doing hill reps on a Saturday and then my long run on a Sunday. And so for this type of long run, like 190 miles, when you say hill reps, were you doing like eight times 60 seconds or were you doing like longer, longer ones at less no. of a... Um, I was doing, I think I was probably doing about 10 reps of one minute. Ah, um, yeah. I think. So nothing massive. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I was and, generally doing that. And did you aim for a sort of a certain mileage per week and a sort of certain level of ascent as well? Ascent I wasn't actually too bothered about, but I think that's just because I get it anyway in the Peak District. So I wasn't searching out um particularly long runs but they were happening <laughs> like in terms of a high ascent I mean yeah um I would say that I generally I was doing between like my recovery weeks were about 50 mile weeks and then I was doing about 70 I might have done an 80 mile week but that was probably more because I was wrecking rather than I needed to hit that mileage 
Um, so yeah, high volume. Yeah. And what, what do you reckon the vert was in all of that? Would it be like a per week? Would it be like 3,000 metres maybe or 4,000 uh, metres? I think just generally I'd be doing about 10,000 a week oh, because wow. even just my little five, six mile loop is a thousand feet. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> oh, 10,000 feet. this little river loop. The, yeah, so... 10,000 feet, mostly. not metres. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah cool. So I, about... I work in, yeah, 3,000 metres. So it probably is about 3,000 metres. Did yeah. you say metres? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. I'm, I'm like really weird. I work in miles and metres, which is really strange. <laughs> I can't do kilometres and I can't do feet for a sentence, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, okay, so that sounds good. And was it difficult to motivate yourself to get out for these runs? Um, or did you find yourself always wanting to go? Yeah, I am I never struggle with motivation. Like, I just love where I live. I love running. And it was really giving me a break from work. Like, looking back, it sounds really unhealthy. And it, I think, you know, I don't work in that job anymore. And I don't think it was particularly sustainable. But my running was my time off work. I didn't have any holidays during that time. And um, like after the Spine Challenger, even though I had teeth missing, the next day I was at work doing a parole board hearing, <laughs> like oh. shuffling around and trying to take painkillers before I went in because I couldn't take them in the prison and things. So oh. yeah, work was really full on. And I remember almost missing the whole recce of the middle section because I just thought I can't leave this amount of work but for me like although it's quite stressful once I actually get out on the hills I'm not really thinking about work so it was my time off um so yeah I didn't have any problem and I think also when you've got such a big goal um that really helped just keep it focused (laughs) yes most definitely um yeah that's Great. And then I've heard you talk a little bit about strength um, in other interviews. And, and Hannah has a question actually about that. Um, she wanted to know what strength exercises that you do. Um, she says, uh, is there a set of exercises that Jen would recommend? Um, yes. There is. Yes. Yeah. Wonderful. And we've actually managed to put them out there because I kept mentioning them. And, people, and I'd be like, yeah, we'll do a video. But Marcus actually has done a video. So if you go to Marcus Scotney's YouTube channel, um, it's probably one of the most recent videos, um, and it will—that's exactly the routine that I did all the way through my training. Um, so it takes like less than ten minutes. It's just every day I'm doing single leg raises, bridge, side leg raises, clams, um, and it made such a difference once I started training and particularly upping the miles. I just found that I didn't need painkillers on long runs. I kind of taken it as part and parcel of that's part of the ultras. You have your paracetamol every <laughs> when you're eating. And yeah. I don't, I took a couple of painkillers. I lost my painkillers. Um, but then I did take some on Northern Traverse for this kind of my ankles tender when I set off on the second day, but otherwise don't remember taking many painkillers. I could, it was that, I just felt that strong in my legs, um, particularly like in my hip flexors as well. Um, so yeah, I yeah. definitely recommend that, and I give it to my coaching clients as well. Yes. 
Oh, that's fantastic. Well, <laughs> I will, yeah, I will find that, and not only will I do it, but I will put a link to it in the show notes. If you, if you're listening to this on the podcast, it will be in the show notes, and if you're watching this on YouTube, it will be in the little YouTube description. So I'll put a link to that there, so everybody can can find Marcus and Jen's strength routine. Less than ten minutes. That's great because I used to think, right, you've got to do thirty to nine, thirty to sixty minutes once a week. But if you've just got to do ten minutes per day, it makes it loads yeah. more easier to fit into the day doesn't it yeah so, it's effective yeah so that's great thank you for that and then we've got a question about yoga as well because obviously you've just been training to be a yoga coach so um arlene says um does, how does jen fit the yoga into her running schedule is it like a warm-up or is it a cool down or is it like a, a rest day type activity um yeah i think i generally for me yoga was either first thing in the morning or last thing at night um, really, um, and I kind of use, so I'll do yin yoga, which I think really complements my running, and that's a very slow um, yoga where I'm holding the poses for quite a long period of time, so that always was good, um, especially um, I used to go to a class kind of on a weekend that was um, fitted in after my long run, so I'd do that, but then yeah, I find that yoga really helps because I was spending all that time sat at my desk or in my car driving to prisons or running forward and you're just really always going in the same direction and so to kind of twist it up and move, it was just so great for me and it still still is a massive part of my life. Mm. Um, so it was kind of really complimenting the running but it, no, I wouldn't do it like immediately before or after a run. Yeah, but yeah. I kind of had them quite separate. Yes. Uh huh. Yeah, it's it's nice, isn't it? I always think, oh yeah, I should do more yoga, and then I just I just don't prioritize it because it's slow and it's not actual running. <laughs> but yeah, as a nice before bed thing, I think it would be really nice there. Um, and Hannah is watching actually, um, who asked you about the strength, and she said, great, that sounds really helpful and manageable. So you've helped at least one person out there um which is fantastic thank you um and yeah you sent a really nice picture of your kit for the northern traverse so <laughs> it would be really cool to go through the kit so uh, i've put the kit on half the page here so i'm going to just jiggery pokery around the screen a sec so that we're on okay here we go so we've got the kit on one side of the screen here um yeah so yeah, there's a lot of Montaigne kit because you're sponsored. You were sponsored by them, and still yeah. are, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, do you want to just take us through a few of your essentials for Northern Traverse? Yeah. So I think kit is quite tricky on Northern Traverse. When I did it, it was in May, but it's been moved even earlier. So the forecast was good for my race. It kind of gets to the point where you're starting a race you don't know what day you're going to finish and you're looking at this weather forecast like across the whole country and I kind of just looked at the lakes and kind of gave up because I couldn't I wasn't really sure where or what I'd be doing <laughs> yeah. what I found the problem well not the problem was but the tricky thing was was it was really warm when we set off but you're going to go through I went through like three night times where it was getting very cold um you do have drop bags which are roughly about every 40 miles but 
because how stretched out the race is, you'll you give them two drop bags. So you'll get kind of the first bag and then the second bag and then the first bag again and then the second bag. So again, that causes a little bit of a headache because you have to kind of make sure that you you pick kit out of one if you put it in the other you won't see that for the next one yeah that's really hard you'd want just one big one to go to everywhere wouldn't you just in case it makes it if you do have that yeah so um i like the kit list wasn't when i the year i did it it wasn't particularly long it's not like the spine challenger where you've got a ridiculous amount of kit and you you know you're not going to use 90 percent of it um so it was fairly straightforward and I was definitely I think carrying more layers because I knew it was going to get cold at night I think um I managed to get it all in a 10 litre pack um and the only time though that that I couldn't then fit all my kit in was when I picked up quite a lot of layers on the last checkpoint because I was leaving about I think it was about three or four in the morning, maybe about four in the morning. So it's frosty that night. So I, to get me out of the tent and get out onto the last leg, I put on loads of layers and then it just really warmed up. So by the time I was finishing, I had like stuff <laughs> kind of, like something around my waist, so yeah. like loads of layers that I'd had to strip off. Yeah. So that was the only time when the bag wasn't big enough, but otherwise the 10 litre pack was fine. Um, I wore... Again, like I went for three quarter tights, which were great because I found like, yes, I was a bit hot in the daytime, but I was warm enough at night and I didn't have to change. Because that was the other thing, like if you put tights on, then what, you're gonna have to take them off. Like just, I just thought, right, just stick with those. I got a really ridiculous tan line. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Just like between my socks and the, under my knee. Yeah, like a calf guard <laughs> tan line. Yeah. Um, I think the only thing that I had forgotten to take to the start, which I would have taken for my kit, was gaiters because I tend to wear the trail gaiters that Montaigne do because they just help keep the rocks and bits of dirt out. So that was one thing that I'd forgotten. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I remember like I did start in a little kind of windproof and then that within two seconds I was really hot so I had to take that off quite a bit of kit faffing <laughs> yeah at least like fine you kind of know it's sort of cold and you might have to yeah. get another layer on you've got all your kit in your bag like you yeah. just don't have this stripper. um so yeah I think clothes wise it's that's the tricky bit keeping warm at night yeah but not the variation and was there like, is there like one or two bits of kit which you were like, oh, thank goodness I had this that worked in this way, like, you know, like an absolute essential? Yeah, I've, I've got them here. Oh, how exciting. <laughs> so the poles that I use, they're not my lightest poles, but they're my sturdiest. Oh. So these are the Mountain King Trailblazer poles. Oh, yeah, I've used them before. And before, in, I've, only ever use poles in the ones that are over 100 miles and for the spine challenger I usually pick them up halfway and I find that when I am kind of fresh and running kind of poles slow me down and I like them when I'm tired but because I like 
because in Northern Traverse, the hills are all, like, you have to go through the Lake District to start with. Yeah. <laughs> I decided to start with them and kind of hope that I would then keep running on the flats and the descents and they wouldn't slow me down. And I don't think they did. So I definitely was glad that I hadn't put them in a drop bag, that I had them from the start. Yes. Yeah. Um, because you've got you have got some tough climbs in the Lake District. Yeah, and like, just hold them up a sec. Like if you just put, pull the top of your screen down a little bit like that, then um, we can see they're a bit blurry. Oh yes, so I've got some like that too. They're a bit blurry yeah, and still. I actually, oh, there they are. They're super light, aren't they? They're like 200 yeah, grams for the pair. But I did notice that even by Patterdale, the couple of the guys that were on the race had lost their poles due to them snapping. Oh, gosh, really? So, yeah. Like somebody, both his poles had snapped before, like by the first checkpoint. What, those poles or a different brand? So I think he was, yeah, he had some super light carbon ones. Oh, gosh. Those, these aren't the carbon ones. They aluminium. aluminium. So, um, yeah, I did bend... They wanted to get bent going out of Patterdale up Placefell. Um, it got stuck in a rock. And so oh. I did have, like, I did, for the rest of the race, I did have to kind of watch where I did the pole. Yes, yeah. And then they repaired it for me. As well. Oh, that's <laughs> nice. Oh, good. It's good customer so, service. Yeah, I wouldn't necessarily go for the lightest. I'd make sure that you've got some robust poles. And yeah. they definitely worked for me. Yeah. I think the other bit of kit, is on that photo and it's the um montane uh minimus ultra stretch jacket and i think the reason why this was so good is again it's just that variation in weather so that you like we did the first night at um when we were going up over high street and kitty pike so you're on the highest bit of the race the weather was foul, <laughs> absolutely lashing wind and rain. Um, so you need a robust jacket if it's going to be like that. You are out on exposed parts um, and quite high up. So I definitely wouldn't have gone for my, a super light jacket. But this is really like robust and light. I feel like it's got it everything because then I'd, yeah. when I'd have it during the day, it wasn't too bulky yeah uh, best of both worlds kind of like what yeah, is it like 250 so grams kind of, that kind of thing pardon it's about 250 grams that kind of think, thing yeah, yeah definitely maybe. not it's, so and it's scrunched down to nothing when i yeah. had my um 50 <laughs> jackets hanging off my back yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, so and, that one i'd recommend yes. um i don't know if i put this on if it's on the photo but you might see on some of the photos yes that is in the, yeah no that's a lovely cup yes <laughs> it's really expensive yeah yeah a lot of people they'll actually buy one of those squishy down cups won't they like a proper squish down cup but you don't have to buy one you can't leave a checkpoint with a cup of coffee or a cup of tea in those squishy ones like i no i go for a tough plastic one Marcus or somebody showed me the trick of cutting the handle a bit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so it hooks over my pack. Oh, that's a good idea. <laughs> and for Northern Traverse, I carried a um, 50 milliliter bottle, which had mountain fuel in. Uh -huh. And in lakes, 
and most of the Yorkshire Dales I could just pick up water using the cup. Yes. Um, so that just saves weight on your pack. For the second half, so once I left Richmond, you're, you've got a very low part and then you've got the North York Moors and there's not much water to pick up there. Yeah. So I think I might have, because it was hot as well, I might have carried a second bottle for the second half and I put my cup away. Yes. <laughs> for cups of tea after that yes (laughs) brilliant and um and just looking at that um one um some guy who's watching live now he has just noticed that you have a bib on in that picture with you with the the blue jacket on um so the bib is presumably your race number um he says was having to wear a bib all the time annoying because presumably like does that interfere with the breathability of the jacket and stuff like that i didn't find it annoying i think I think some people had raised that because there was quite a bit in the race rules about, um, I think people have been trying to, yeah, claim that they didn't have to wear it if it was really wet or something like that. I mean, it was absolutely fine. The only problem that I had was on the last checkpoint, I somehow misplaced my beer, but it got into somebody else's bag. Um, Oh, Oh, a handy hanky. I'll just put this in my bag. (laughs) Oh, it's got a number on it. (laughs) Joe Faulkner was dealing with me at the checkpoint. I don't think he was impressed, but, you know, (laughs) I'd not had a sleep for three days, so my bagman skills had (laughs) left me. Um, So that was the only, so that's my tip. They're absolutely fine, but make sure you keep hold of them at checkpoints when you take them off to put layers on. Yes. (laughs) Because I don't know, I probably couldn't really have set off unless Joe managed to find it for me, thank God. How did he do that? He's amazing, isn't he? Not only a great mountain leader and navigator, but also a good bib locator. Well done, Joe. (laughs) Otherwise, I would have got disqualified at like 160 miles. Oh, that would have been terrifying um we've got a lot of love for your cup on the live chat here um <laughs> Nigel Barnett says that he has an old dented metal mug that he uses so yeah lots of love for the, love for the proper proper old school mugs there yeah you don't always need fun to get <laughs> yeah yes um and talking of drinking let's chat about your food because I've got a wonderful picture here of all of this food laid out which basically you described to me earlier as a children's party so yeah Yeah. that sounds good can you tell us more about what kind of foods you took with you for the northern traverse yeah well again you have this problem that you have like it could be food could be sat in your drop bag for three days yeah (laughs) um and I also had no idea what I needed and what I how much I'd won I mean I definitely didn't eat all of this <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> Still kind of get across the country I think if I had <laughs> but the reason why there's quite a lot is um I was just like I'd done so much training by this point I'd basically trained for sort of eight months and I just was getting a little bit sick of some of the bars and things that I'd been using for that length of time So I was trying to give myself some variety and choice and I'm so glad I did because um, I'd been using these banana trek flapjacky bars for loads of my training and I'd like, I opened one on Northern Traverse near the start and I was just like, no, I can't stand stand that anymore. (laughs) So yeah, this food was mostly, well, they were spread out in my drop bags um, and I was carrying enough 
in between checkpoints and then a bit left over. Um, I did struggle with food on Northern Traverse just because it was very varied what was on offer at the checkpoints and some of the checkpoints didn't have vegan food which I'd been like I had expected a bit like being told that there would be vegan food but there wasn't really at some of them so oh, that's rubbish isn't it yeah I'm sure that will change because um yeah. very nice about that after when I did oh, mention. Bless um, so <laughs> I got to like um Kirby Stephen which is about 90 miles in I think and like literally all there was was a bowl of cornflakes and some soy milk that oh. was then and so but by this point like the food like I, there is in some of the tubs on that picture I had done some um pasta I think with tomato sauce but it had been like in a bag for two days at this point yeah. I went that. <laughs> so I didn't really fancy that yeah uh, and they should have so, ordered like, you some kind of takeaway, like <laughs> Uber Eats or something. Fucking around with that, I was ready to get out. Yeah, um, they sh you should have called that through half an hour prior. Right, I need uh, vegetable noodles and uh, rice with barbecue sauce, please. <laughs> so, yeah, I kind of, so I was glad I did have this much food. Um, and uh, also, there is, it looks like a kid's party, but there is some savoury things there, so... <laughs> <laughs> I'm just gonna I'm gonna make it big on the screen. I'm just gonna read out just for the benefit of the podcast people. So there's Oasis, there's Coke, there's sausage rolls, presumably vegan sausage rolls. Yeah, yeah, it's all vegan. <laughs> there's um, a ch tub of fruity jelly stuff. There's biscuits, there's cheesy cheddars, there's little pastries, hula yeah. hoops, um, some flapjack, malt loaf, Alpro yogurt, kids party rings. I didn't know they were vegan. That's good, isn't it? Um, I think there's every race they're like my go-to race food and oh. on this because no matter Lovely. what my stomach's like I always just happy to eat party <laughs> <laughs> oh, and then there's some almond nuts there's some um, a dolly mixture little dolly mixture stuff there's I yeah, think there's Skittles, and Skittles. And yeah and Starburst they're oh, vegan Starburst. and I, I make Marcus unwrap them all <laughs> So they're not Dolly mixture, they're actually pre-unwrapped Starburst that poor Marcus has had to slave labour over. And then there's some mountain fuel packets and then the, the various Trek bars and some orange juice. And then presumably that Tupperware is full of the two-day-old pasta with tomato sauce on. Yeah, it's probably hours old on this photo, but yes. get eaten much. Yeah, oh, yeah it's so a good spread, it's a good spread. We've got a, yes. a, a fan. We've got a fan on the live chat for the party rings. Um, Jess says, "I am a sucker for party rings." So you, you're not alone here, Jen. <laughs> yeah, they're my little faithful treat because I don't have them in training. So the sweets and party rings, and um, yeah, those I wouldn't have in training. So they make quite a nice little <laughs> treat. <laughs> Yeah. So there was one point when I don't know I I was coming I was on the last climb before Patterdale so coming out of um, Grasmere and I wrecked one side and always gone one side on the coast to coast route but I, then I saw that there were a couple of racers who I think were doing the Lakes Traverse going up the other side which was a bit steeper but it actually looked a bit shorter but I think I don't know it kind of mentally affected me that I. I was I'd wrecked the wrong bit and so I started going uh, I checked on the map and then started going up 
with them and I just felt really tired which is fair enough I'd probably done well, like 40 miles in the Lake District I don't know how long it was a little, little bit tired but, <laughs> most people wouldn't be but. <laughs> but there you kind of know that the highest point is the climb up to Kitsy Pike and I was like having a bit of like a sulk but oh god I'm really tired and I've got a long way to go and I just felt like oh so I I sat on a rock, which I don't normally sit down, but I just sat on a rock. I was like, right, you need to eat. So I got out some party rings. That was fine. I skipped off. Party. <laughs> Get the party rings. Yeah. Well, we've got a lot of love for your food, as I said. So um, <laughs> Jess has added, um, gotta love the accidentally vegan sweets. Um, yeah. I'm just trying to put that back on the thing. Yep, there we go. It's up on the screen. Um, John Gardner says, I like Jen's food photos. Um, basically, pack what you love to eat at a party um, and don't use expensive gross gels. <laughs> oh yeah, there's no gels on those. Yes, yeah, no gels in there. Um, Nigel Barnett says, M&M's, uh, um, lovely. Or, um, no, these were Skittles. Skittles, oh, Skittles, Nigel, Skittles. Um, yeah, you need that fruity explosion. <laughs> yeah, taste the rainbow. Yeah. <laughs> Graham Van says, um, a little bit of what you like, and if it puts a smile on your face, all the better. And then um, Paul Hamilton loves the cinnamon swirls. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. They so, were really good. And yeah. I think, actually, my favourite thing on there, which I think... You said as malt loaf, but it's actually, yeah, right in the middle. It's actually banana loaf. Oh, um, yeah, not malt loaf. I but, did think it looked light. And I'd accidentally, normally I'll take the mini bars, but I accidentally bought the loaf, which I was really annoyed about. So I cut it into slices. But for me, that was like, I wish I'd taken three of those because <gasps> yeah. it, it was really nice, not too sweet. It wasn't, I mean, it was a bit chewy, but it was fine. So that was probably my favourite thing yeah. on that. And it's a bit um, moist, isn't it? Like, because yeah. I know you've got all your cheesy cheddars and your party rings, but whenever I've done really long stuff, like beyond about 12 hours, you need really moist stuff like your yogurts and um, and your pizza. And yeah, they were nice. Like that. That's like kind of vegan custard, I think. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I think it was like, I think that what I would do differently would be take some kind of dehydrated camp meals um, that I could then get into the checkpoint, put the hot water in and then eat those while I was there or while I was walking out. So that would be my main difference is taking kind of proper meals. But maybe that was more just because um, I didn't have such a great selection being vegan at the checkpoints. But. Yes, yeah, that's true. That's a really good idea because they're so light as and, well. And they would have lasted for three days unlike my tomato Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes, that would have been brilliant. And so, so you ate your party rings, you got to the finish, and you uh, there's a picture of you at the finish here, which is lovely, holding a trophy because, congratulations, you were second lady. Woo! Oh. That's amazing. Um, how did that make you feel? Yeah, I mean, again, it's, I love these races where you have no idea what's going to happen. This one, I had no idea what day I was going to finish on. <laughs> yeah. <which is> exciting. <laughs> and I I just had such a good time. It was really great. I um, And then when I left the, so I was kind of, I felt like quite comfortably second from um, 
fairly early on or from Shap. And then I um, left the last checkpoint at the Lion Inn in the freezing cold frosty morning. And you've only got maybe like 30 miles till the finish. So it just felt like a training run. Yes, it was going to take a while, but we could do it. That's fine. I knew Marcus was going to come and meet me. I'd had a brilliant time. So I set off and I was just so slow. I think with the cold and... Well, and the fact I've done 160 miles. <laughs> a little factor. <laughs> so, and I, when I was leaving, I think I'd seen Third Lady coming in, and I kind of she'd been sleeping for hours, and it just hadn't really bothered me. And so, but when the sun came up, I got to kind of the end of. There's a horrible road section out of, or a few roads before you start going down into the last like Glazedale. And it was at that point that I think I text Marcus because we were trying to work out when he needed to set off to come. And he was like, careful, second, the third lady is like just behind you. And I could see this back <gasps> behind me. Oh no. So I suddenly started running. <laughs> and I, um, yeah, and then I, they were catching up and I was just like, oh, I think I text Marcus. I might have put it in my blog, like, actually, I can't be bothered with this. Who cares? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> which is my kind of default if I think I'm not going to do that, like, win, you know, be good at something. And, okay, well, I didn't want to do that anyway. Yeah. Anyway, it was that actually, was a bloke. it was a bloke that had come up past me, and he was like, "Well, she's she's set off," which was kind of enough for me to to perk me up. And then I managed to run. I mean, in my head, I was sprinting. I think I was doing like a 13, 14 minute miling. <laughs> But I managed to run 20 miles because I felt like she was chasing me. Yes. And um, it wasn't until I got to the last few miles that I kind of could relax a bit and knew that I had second. Um, and I had a couple of blokes come past me just before I got to where I could meet Marcus and then you just got a little bit by the coast. And so at that point, I'd lost a few places overall, but I was 10. Wow. So kind of just okay well you're going to be second keep you want to be in the top 10 so let's just go and it was hard because I think my body had been running on adrenaline for those 20 miles and that had worn out I'd had like one little handful of starbursts for the whole <laughs> one party ring come on come on I think that party ring by that point oh, <laughs> error that's and it then, that'll be it and it's really hot and I was running out of water so oh. yeah it was really grinding it out for the last like, I think it's about 5k that you've got from um when you get actually get to the coast which like psychologically woohoo I've got it and I just remember that being really slow obviously but your body's kind of just yeah kind of like I've done my bit now yeah yeah I remember I had my poles and I had Marcus who was like chirpy and trying to film <laughs> you're like no no cameras no cameras no and no media like, women like just out for a little walk and on this really narrow bit like taking ages and I just couldn't even speak I was like oh and, <laughs> and they were like, like oh we better get out of the way of this lunatic <laughs> and by this point I must admit I didn't change my clothes the whole way so I did smell a bit and then <laughs> I could smell you coming <laughs> I couldn't pass them like as fast as I could hobble and I could just hear them going what's wrong with her is she <laughs> falling <laughs> is she yeah. ill <laughs> oh yeah 
I must admit, you know, on an ultra when you've been running for ages and then you come to some kind of honeypot site and people are just milling around in jeans and t-shirts. They all smell so nice, don't they? When you go past, you've got this like whiff of lovely washing and you just think, oh, I must smell horrendous near them. Oh, I knew that I smelled bad. Like I had, in my drop bags, I had spare clothes. I, I mean, I was very... Because of the feet on the spine challenger, I was very strict at sorting out my feet at every checkpoint. I'd wash them, dry them, put clean socks on, um, and be on my way. But I didn't change any of my other clothes. Yeah, yeah. There's no time. There's no time. You so you. Um, I correct me if I'm wrong. Um, but did you? You did 78 hours and 37 minutes for that race. Yeah, I can't yeah. remember actually. Yeah. Yeah. So, so something around that time. Um, and just before the last question, I just want to just ask you about the hallucinations that you experienced because you said they were quite amusing. Um, and I just wondered what they were and if you have any advice for anybody um, who uh, goes through this kind of thing on the Northern well, Traverse. It feels like it's so individual. Like, I know that I don't get them on the first night. So, for me, it's when I'm going into a second night particularly because it's much worse when it gets dark I remember going into the checkpoint at Kirby Stephen which was about midday on the second day and I felt like there was this car rolling backwards which obviously it wasn't but that was kind of my only little daylight one but yeah going into the second night I had it was getting dark when I got to Reith and then I only had I think it's about 12 miles to Richmond that took me about six hours <laughs> I did get lost in a field at one point, and I was so tired I couldn't remember why I was in a field. Like I was literally just looking at my race, <laughs> trying to work out what I was doing. Yeah. <laughs> but the hallucinations, yeah, were really bad. Like it started off just bouncing shapes off the limestone walls. So I saw faces, and I saw like I remember vividly seeing this like Jack in the Box that was a cat there, and then I got out of wreath and onto this field and it was really bright clear night and all the stars just felt like they were around me wow and you just remember like you know they're hallucinations but you kind of like they're kind of getting in the way i'm like stars just yeah. get back in the sky <laughs> and i remember telling i think it was susie that one and yeah i got into runner's world with even a photo like an illustration of me on this field with all surrounded these by stars oh brilliant and then the third night yeah we had to go along this old railway line to get to the last checkpoint and i was really hallucinating by then it was just people pouring onto the train line and all these um shape like big faces and then i also thought I'd hallucinated this um, whole plane and like really low flying plane and I'd like almost dodged out the way but when I got to the checkpoint that was actually real it probably wasn't that close to yeah. me <laughs> yeah really jumbo jet going over <laughs> I think like I've never I've always known that I'm hallucinating mm -hmm. so I kind of just ride it out and I also find that like as soon as you turn the head torch it goes mm. and I find that if if I, if my head touch is too far in the distance, like if I'm looking too far up, I'll hallucinate or at my feet. But if I find this kind of middle range, I almost block them out of it. So it is really just music on, head in that position. Sweet spot. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. It sounds like it sounds like you have a good attitude towards them. Like it's quite the kind of think it's entertaining rather than yes, they are yeah. entertaining. <laughs> yeah. And um, and so so that's the race. Um, and so I just yeah, just to kind of round it up a bit because um, we're nearly an hour in. I'm conscious of your time tonight. Um, I just wanted to ask you um what is coming up next for you like i know at the moment you've been helping you just recently helped damien hall um along with marcus doing the pen nine way fkt um and i saw that you were picking up litter on the way as well um and guy wanted me to ask you um what you thought about this just this recent kind of phenomenon in a way of people just going to the peak district and just dropping the litter everywhere and, and you guys have been picking it up um so have you got any any thoughts or or ranting about yeah, that i think like it is hard because i grew up in the peak district i live in such a beautiful place um but then at the same time i kind of it's also i know how important like more now than ever people getting out into these places and so I don't begrudge people visiting the Peak District and the fact that it's busy. Like it's great seeing families out here, and it does feel like they're people that haven't seen it before um, and are new. But yeah, it's meant that we've got a huge problem with rubbish parking that's blocking vehicles, but also the litter. So I have been going up um, litter picking curb at Edge quite regularly, and it seems like there's a real momentum here with people locals. Um, so I've got some litter pickers and um, was hoping to arrange some more kind of organised things. There's a couple of um, Instagram accounts that have popped up about the litter in the Peak District and yeah, it just seems to be a bit of energy and momentum now. So hopefully that'd be good. That was really good. I mean, it was amazing watching Damien picking up litter and all his supporters were. I, I only was with him for bits on the last day so I can't take much credit because I didn't do his race support before then um, but I think it was also really good just to highlight it because it feels quite hopeless at times like you know I'll go and litter pick I'll get bags and then you go back a week later and it's all the same yeah with litter again yeah uh, so but then there's part of and you just think well why did I bother but I know that it yeah. is of it and I think if it is a clean area to start with less litter will will accumulate yeah do you I think so yeah. and I just like I have put posts on Instagram showing some of the litter and but you do then just get people that are obviously not going to litter like ranting about it and I feel yeah. like actually that's not a good use of our time like what can we do to yeah help clear up the areas to encourage people to um, come out here and look after it because I think the education is a key. It's the same with like a massive problem with camping and I wild camp and I from a very early age was taught how to make sure that I didn't have an impact on where I was camping and I wouldn't dream of leaving anything so I think it's really just about that education and Definitely. clearly people love like they, they get something from being out here and they love the area so it's just making sure that that also translates into looking after it for others so yeah I think the type of people that do that think that someone is paid to go around and clean up like you know like in yeah. a building or in a pub or in a restaurant or in the public parks in Sheffield yeah. which is our yeah. closest 
city. So you see like how awful it looks after a really nice sunny day. Everyone's just left everything on there, but it will get cleared up. Whereas, yeah, yeah it yeah. just won't unless we do it. Mm. So yeah, it's just how to get that message across to the right people without it coming across like we're slapping them on the wrist kind of thing. And yeah. So yeah, but I think it's great. Like we can just be the heroes in the meantime, can't we, going and picking up litter. <laughs> putting big piles on Facebook. <laughs> yeah. It's getting my upper body strength because I'm having to carry it then three miles to the Yeah. <laughs> and all that bending down, picking up, it must be good core core training. Yeah. It's a new workout. Good core. <laughs> well, I think it's brilliant. Um and um so you have started uh, doing coaching now um, and you're just doing your yoga teaching course as well for yoga classes um, just tell us a little bit about this before you go and I'll put the um, the website up on the screen so because you and Marcus do the coaching together so I've got the website just here yeah so it was kind of always the plan this was the long-term goal like if somebody asked me what my dream job would be it would be organizing running a yoga retreat so it was kind of like I think that was always in my mind and then it gets to the point where you just have to follow your dreams, don't you? And I think, and so it was always a plan to do that in the future. And I, it was more just taking that plunge. But with lockdown and the crazy year that we've had, and then I was made redundant, um, it just all fitted in perfectly to just go for it. Um, so I'm having a great time because now my hobbies have become my full-time job. That's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, That's so moment awesome. I'm... Um, doing online coaching which I absolutely love especially because I've got so many female runners not just ultra runners just women that are getting out there um so that's yeah perfect absolutely perfect and I will be doing my exams um qualify as a yoga teacher this weekend and then I have lots of exciting plans of how we put the running and the yoga together um, for days and weekends and yeah lots going on awesome I hope lockdown eases enough for you to do them but maybe the small groups can still go ahead quite soon as well that's looking really hopeful isn't it yeah hopefully um yeah because I've got my run leader qualifications got all these qualifications yeah. Yeah, at least yeah, you could do that like the online coaching, I suppose, uh, just like fill the void if, if there's you know if there's a resurgence and things like that. Um, but that sounds fantastic. Um, uh, you'll have to keep us posted. Everybody, follow Jen on um, Instagram. What's your Instagram handle? How can we find uh, you? Jen Scottney. So lowercase Jen Scottney. Yeah, and what about Sherlock the Beagle? <laughs> yeah, he's more sure importantly. Just Sherlock the Beagle. Oh, Sherlock the Beagle one. Yeah, I'm not sure. There are a few other Sherlock's. <laughs> really, Sherlock. Don't follow Sherlock the Beagle. Not one, everyone. That's the wrong Sherlock. <laughs> and have you got any kind of uh, like bucket list races that you want to get in for 2021 or anything like that? Are you going to go for the Spine again or like Spine Challenger again or the um, Northern yeah. Traverse? Would you ever do the full Spine? <laughs> well, for me. Um, although I have done these long, long races, I've also had to kind of juggle it with having been quite ill. Um, and it was always a bit of a mystery illness that the doctors just couldn't find anything wrong. So I thought it might be stress related with my hours. And that's one of the reasons why I cut back. But actually, another amazing thing in lockdown is I think we found a reason. Um, uh -huh. And so I've been having B12 injections and within a 
few injections that made a huge difference. So I think it was a B12 deficiency all those years that I got oh, misdiagnosed. No. That's, but, quite, that's quite common for people who follow a vegan diet, isn't it, to miss out yeah, on the B12? Actually, I was ill before I was vegan, so mm. mine is diet-related. I think it's autoimmune-related. So I, it's kind of a bit unknown. Like I, I'm obviously recovering, but I also kind of have, I, I suppose, a bit more respect for my body than I used to in terms of I'm not invincible. And I, these long races are going to be there. I don't have to cram them all in. So at the moment for me, it's spine challenger. And then it really depends, because that's just fun. I did that even when I'm in email. <laughs> 100 miles, it's just fun. <laughs> I love it so much. And you kind of just know it's only one weekend, so that's all right. Um, and then it's really just see how my body is with that, how it responds to the training this year for that. Um, I have so many plans, but it's just, yeah seeing what I'm what my body allows me to do um, but definitely going in the right direction compared to where I was at the start of the year so really really positive yeah oh that's brilliant news I'm so glad you've sorted that out um that's fantastic um well thank you so much I just want to say thank you for um spending so much time with us here tonight I think that's been such a useful chat about the northern traverse and how people can train what kit to take and what what food and and uh what what kind of party rings that they might want to buy <laughs> it's such a fun race there is nothing better than going across the country through three national parks uh, it's just fantastic, absolutely brilliant. Awesome. Um, yeah, it sounds like an absolutely fantastic race. Um, and everybody's really enjoyed the chat tonight. I'm just going to read out a few comments um, from people. So Jess says uh, she agrees with the mini saurine loaves. Um, she says normal malt loaf isn't vegan, but the mini flavoured loaves are. So she has been enjoying that tip from you. Um, and John Gardner says, I cannot imagine the courage it takes to more, run more than three days in a row in the cold, wet and sleep deprived and then pushing the last 20 miles. So well done there. <laughs> Um, and Guy is offering to give you a hand with the litter picking. Um, he oh, lives in the kind of Macclesfield area, so um, I'm sure he can pop out that side. Um, Nigel Barnett's agreeing with you here about the B12 injections. He has them every eight weeks because of his deficiency. Um, and Paul Hamilton says, thanks, Jen. Brilliant interview. And um, Guy said, um, thanks, Jen. What a delight. So mm -hmm. I, think, I think we can say you've been a hit. Thank you very much. <laughs> it's been great to speak to you. Thank you. Hi, it's Claire here. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. These live chats take place every Wednesday evening at 6.30pm UK time on World Ginger Running YouTube channel. And the link is in the show notes. I just wanted to let you know that you can find this and loads more advice and inspiration and gear tests all about trail and ultra running on my YouTube channel, Wild Ginger Running. There are training tips, advice from elite athletes, top coaches, nutritious recipes, key exercises, injury prevention information, and tons of trail kit reviewed from running packs to poles, waterproofs to head torches, GPS watches, and shoes, 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 and did I mention shoes? 
I've been going for a few years now, so there's a huge archive of content to help you out with your trail and ultra running. To quickly and easily find the information you need, simply type your query into the Google search box and then write wild ginger running after it. Then Google will show you whatever blog posts or films I have on that topic. Give it a try. And if you appreciate listening and all the information that I share on YouTube, you're also very welcome to support me on Patreon, which gets you some additional excellent perks and the chance to win some awesome prizes. For as little as the price of a cup of coffee every month, patrons get discounts, extra films, access to the exclusive Facebook and Strava groups, the chance to ask questions to every live chat guest, plus automatic entry into my monthly competition to win £400 worth of trail and ultra running gear. There are only about 150 patrons, so the odds on a win are way better than the lottery. Interested? Find me at patreon.com slash wildgingerrunning. Thanks for listening, guys. Have fun, enjoy your run, and I'll see you on the trails.